Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Leafs can't clear. Burns keeps it, shoots toward the net, picked on that. Nice save by Campbell off of Evander Kane's tip in front. And Burns another chance, tip, score! Third time's the charm right there. Evander Kane hanging in there in the slot. He was in a one-on-one situation, and he banged home Burns' puck knocking it just past the goaltender Campbell. It's 1-0 Sharks. Incredible. Marner, who scored that brilliant goal to tie it, has it on his stick, gives to Tavares, over to the right, Matthews a shot, a diving stop by the glove hand of Martin Jones. That's the save of the game, and the Sharks clear. What a First long pass out goes up the left to Thornton. He's up to the blue line. He softly chips it in. Hunt back to get it. Hammered hard by Sorensen. Work free. Nice body hit there by Meyer to knock down Patterin. Meyer comes up with the puck. Skates up the near boards, reverses behind the net to Thorne. Tried to make the play to the backhand, got checked. Now he feeds in front, tipped out in front. Meyer, backhander, save, rebound, Thornton, score! Great work by this line combination of Sorensen, Meyer, and Thornton, and Jumbo Joe comes up with a big goal to make it the Wild 3, the Sharks 2, and for Thornton, that is goal number six on the year. I think for four games and six nights, I thought we played hard. We had guys uh, playing out of spots, obviously up higher in the lineup, more minutes than they're used to. Young guys in situations that uh, you know um, that we had no choice to play them in. And uh, um, you know, I thought that the guys competed really hard. I thought we were physical. Um, you know, I won't know till tomorrow when we rewatch the game. But uh, um, you know, we gave up some high-end chances, but I don't think we gave up a ton of chances. Um, I thought we produced enough. Um, you know, I just—it's the—they're uh, opportunistic team, and I think that it, uh, um, you know they got some world-class players, and uh, um, you know I thought that was a difference tonight. We didn't have an answer for them without Cooch, um, you know, and our guys played really hard. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. Ted Ramey with you as always as we look back at. Well, I'm going to say this is going to be one of the more historically significant weeks in the San Jose Sharks history, just because of the fact that we were talking about coronavirus and having to put out statements about games going on as scheduled. This was kind of a strange week. This is a new, new world that we are currently living in as we deal with this uh, coronavirus issue. And now we're watching players at the podium. The dressing room has been closed. Everyone's kind of looking at this just a little bit differently. We're talking about the possibility of the NHL and the NBA playoffs being closed door when they uh, get to that point. It's it's a very, very odd time, and we're all going to remember this is also a time when the Sharks were just at a talent deficit. And I keep on looking time and time again at this team and getting a big what-if question if they had been able to be healthy. And I do think that if they had been able to be healthy, they would have put together a pretty good run, and they would have been able to find themselves in the Stanley Cup playoffs, or at least part of the conversation, because you just look at what happened this last week. You have three consecutive one-goal losses. You have 
Martin Jones starting to look more and more like the guy that we remember him being previously. We see the Sharks being punished for their mistakes, but also I think these mistakes have been more and more punishing as more and more talent has been out of their lineup. And it just builds upon a season of frustrations where you think they're almost there, they're almost there, but just when all is said and done, it's the refrain I keep on coming back to. The San Jose Sharks in 2019 and 2020 this season are just good enough to lose. And I I don't say that to be cute or be glib, but it's just something you see sometimes in sports where this is a team where they are going to be competitive. They challenge now almost every team they play, and they are just finding ways to be good enough to lose. It's like they're competitive. They do many of the right things, but if they make any mistake because they're missing top-line guys, they are going to be punished for it. They are going to be on the wrong end of a decision. They are going to be at a talent deficit that has them in games, that has them potentially winning games, but ultimately leaves them just short. And you look at what they did on this homestand. The Sharks were in almost all of the games with an opportunity uh, to earn a point, which is, again, considering how difficult things have gone this year, that's where you'd like them to be. But then you finish up the homestand with three consecutive one-goal losses. And just if you think about how good the Sharks have been at home in recent memory, if you think about what this team is usually able to do, it seems like they've always been able to find that late goal. It seems like they've always been able to find that hero, that guy to step up. And now that's just not what's happening. And I think that the other frustration builds because you're watching other players you know, really develop into what you're hoping them to be. And I, I think that you look at a young player like Noah Greger, you see more positive t- positivity out of there. Uh, Leanne Bregman, you see positivity there. You look at all these different young players and you're saying to yourself, all right, I see the potential. And maybe the idea of trying to work them in in the season long is is starting to show its colors. You're seeing these guys look like NHL players, but because you don't have Eric Carlson, because you don't have Tomas Hurdle, because once again the other night Logan Couture uh, took a puck to the face and he had to come out of that game on Sunday night, you just watch them not have enough. And again, it's frustrating. It reminds you of what they could have had. It reminds you of the, the talent deficit in the NHL is so razor. You know, the margins are so razor thin that if you have one less quality player, that can be enough to cost you a game. And the Sharks not having enough talent is not really a conversation that we are used to having. So, you know, right now you're trying to sift through this. You're trying to look at the bright spots. Again, I go back to Martin Jones as one of the guys we are looking at as one of the bright spots. He is looking more and more and more like the player we think he's capable of being. And I don't know what exactly that this coaching staff has done to reinvigorate Martin Jones and get him to be the player that we know he's capable of being. But I will say the one thing I'm noticing is it does seem like he's seen the puck a lot better. That's the one thing I noticed. Now, you look at the performance he had on Thursday night, I thought he played very, very well there. You look at Sunday night, yeah, four goals were let in, but he was put in some very tough situations, so you can't give him all the blame there. But overall, you're not looking at his game like you were earlier on in the year where he's given up, if he does make the stop earlier in the year, he's given up a big rebound, which puts the team in a bad spot defensively or the lets in a bad goal right after the Sharks score. There were times earlier this year when Martin Jones was letting in goals that were defeating 
to the San Jose Sharks on the ice. Like you could see that team, they would go and do what they had to do, put in the hard work, go score, and then Martin Jones would let in a softy. That's not happening anymore. I mean, listen, guys are going to let in soft goals. It happens from time to time. But when Martin Jones is scored upon now, it seems much more legit, and it doesn't seem like it's all on him. You see him be put in a bad situation, and, yeah, that's what happens in the NHL. If you put your goalie in a bad situation, it's probably not going to end well for you because these guys are so talented. But Martin Jones is seeing the puck better, is making the stops, is fighting off shots, and is letting things that he would have let go in earlier in the year, he's blocking them, he's stopping them, he's making the right moves, he's seeing things better. That's my ultimate assessment. I have not been a goalie coach. I have not been a goalie. You can only go off what you're seeing. Is he passing the eye test? He most definitely is. And you you juxtapose that with the continued nice play you're seeing from Aaron Dell. And you do feel better about what the Sharks have going forward next year. And again, this is all part of the hard decisions that need to be made. But again, you get more into that that idea that you can get into a 50-50 split between those two guys and give them more rest. And hopefully that's key to both of them being better players. And again, this goes back to the what-if scenario, right? Because what if the Sharks had stayed healthy? And what if they'd been able to get this improved play from their goalies? And what if they'd been able to get more actualized development from their younger players? And what if you're able to plug in a signing like Stefan Nason and see him continue to rise? Stefan Nason has quickly turned into a fan favorite for the Sharks. I was shocked the other night. I was watching Nason, and he scores a goal Thursday night. And I tweet out, you know, this is a guy whose signing did not light the world on fire back in January. And then suddenly he's developed into a fan favorite. And this was just kind of an off-the-cuff little whatever tweet for me. And then suddenly it gets, I don't know, a significant amount of retweets and over 100 likes. And again, this is about a guy that was not setting anyone's radar off when he was signed by the Sharks. But you know what? He's gone out there. He's worked his ass off. He's trying to make things happen. Fans see the effort. Fans appreciate the effort. He's trying to prove himself as a valid player in the NHL. And I hope that Stephen Nason is around next year. I have no idea if he will be, but I love the effort that I'm seeing. And he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's not going to be a top six guy, but you can plug him in and get that kind of quality on the third and fourth line and just overall look to his work ethic to make something happen, to inspire his teammates. I love that, but it's just, again, it's coming in a season where whatever will go wrong for the San Jose Sharks seemingly does go wrong, or whatever can go wrong will go wrong, however you want to look at it, and it's hard to say, yes, this guy would have been able to do this in another year, but I think he would have. Now, the argument is, well, if everybody had been healthy, maybe he wouldn't have gotten those same opportunities. I don't buy that. I think he would have gotten these opportunities. I think the Sharks would have still looked for more depth at the forward, and they would have been able to use him effectively as they have over the course of this year. But I really like what I'm seeing from Stefan Nason. I think his development as a player for a guy who had you know, never been able to find that consistency, that consistency this year has allowed him to blossom as a player. And, you know, good for him. If the Sharks decide not to keep him, then other teams in the NHL are surely seeing his performance and watching his fight and saying, that's a guy I can use on my third or fourth line, at least to go out there and 
and utilize the effort and make us a better team on a night-to-night basis. You know, I also see what Redeem Shemek has turned into, and he got the contract extension, and I think that's a big move for the Sharks going forward, locking him up, getting some consistency. He knows he's got security. The Sharks know they've got him, and I thought they got a pretty good value for him. I thought that, you know, he's a player whose ceiling looks very good, and we knew what he was capable of after seeing him last year before the knee injury. You really like the depth that he brings. You really like his game. He has continued to develop in the vein that you expected him to. He has picked up where he left off, and he's one of many players you've seen that from this year. It's you want these guys to continue to be better and better, and that it wasn't a fluke in what we saw previously, and that it wasn't just something that was going to be gone now that he'd suffered a knee injury. He was able to come back, prove himself to be highly capable, and credit to him for putting in all the hard work to come back from a rough knee injury but he has proved himself to be the player we all thought he was I mean that's the thing is there was so much hype surrounding him and what he was able to do last year it's like well you know for a guy who we didn't know that much about is this you know the reality is this what we can expect from him and that's that's what it seems we found and then again you look at Mario Ferraro uh, you look at Alexander True you look at all these different young players we're looking at in terms of the San Jose Sharks They are developing. It's trending in the right direction. It just happens to be occurring in a year where everything else has gone wrong for the San Jose Sharks. Now, I try to swing positive, obviously, and say it's not lost because you're developing these players for the future. You're developing them for the next year when the Sharks are back healthy again and they've made decisions and made roster moves to make themselves a better team. That's every year, though. You want to be able to bring in these next-generation players, and we're watching right now who amongst them has the ability to be an impact player from one game to the next, or one week to the next, or one month to the next. And then you've got a guy like Jumbo, who's scoring more goals as of late, putting the onus on himself, trying to create, trying to make things happen. He's still got game left, and I give him a lot of credit, and he makes a lot of people better around him. And, you know, for a guy who's 40 years old now and still able to contribute in the NHL, it just uh, it makes me smile every time I watch Jumbo. You know, like when you watch a movie and you see that one character who's at a bar and a fight starts to break out, and he's, like, excited to get into a fight. He doesn't really care whose side he's on, but he's just excited to get into it. I feel like there's a little bit of that vein for Jumbo, not that he's obviously not fighting 100% for the Sharks, but he just looks like he enjoys the game of hockey so much. Like, he just looks like he is invigorated by every play, by every moment. He wants to be in the fight. He wants to be in the scrum. He wants to do the dirty and hard work. Like, that's what you love about when you watch Jumbo right now, is that he seems to just appreciate every aspect of every game. And even though things aren't going the Sharks' way, He's still looking like his joy and his passion for the game are there, and he's played so many games. He's 84th now on the all-time goals scored list. He's still making guys look stupid with some of his passes out there. They just don't know how to defend it. They see the, the rhythm and the timing and the way he catches guys in stride or puts them in a dangerous situation. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, you shouldn't be surprised by it anymore, but it just it doesn't stop. And it seems like he's seeing new angles and making more plays and making more passes and trying to do it with these young guys and give them opportunities. It just, it's, it's great to see. 
I absolutely love watching it. And um, I, I am fearful for a day when I do not get to watch Jumbo make impactful plays in the NHL. All right, we're going to break things up, and we are going to bring in Noah Greger. I was lucky enough to talk to him after Sunday night's loss to the Colorado Avalanche, in which Greger scored the third goal of his NHL career. Work free now, Meyer. Rink wide on the left wing side. Moved across the line. Fanned on there by LeBanc, but got it in front. Quick shot. Greger, score! Kevin LeBanc almost lost that puck. And as it turned out, it was a fortuitous fan on the left wing side because then the Sharks made a couple of crossing plays. Noah Gregor on the left wing side used his great skill. Timo Meyer dropped it back to him, and Gregor beats Francois with 43.6 seconds left to make it a one goal game. All right, we now have joining us on Morning Tide Noah Gregor, 21 year old Canadian on the San Jose Sharks, scored his third goal of his NHL career tonight. Uh, let me ask you that, man. Like, you've obviously made it this far in your career and I know you're focused on the big picture but does it does it settle home that you are living that dream of so many kids and you're now scoring not just one goal but goals in the NHL like do you, do, does that sink home uh, a little bit I think it it starts to come when you start getting texts from your buddies and, and family members are you know talking about how cool it is so uh, it's exciting but uh, you know it's something that you know, I've, it's been my goal for my whole life. So uh, achieving it's cool. But now that I'm here, you know, I just want to stay in the, in the game as long as I can and uh, just have as much fun as I can. Yeah, and like looking at your career, like obviously you were on the, the perspective of a lot of, a lot of people coming up. When did it start to get real for you in terms of, I guess, representing Canada at the international stage or like realizing you were at a point where your talent did have the potential to take you to the NHL? Uh, I mean... Probably decently early. I think probably around, you know, my first year Bantam or, or second year Bantam when I was, you know, one of the top players in, in the AAA league in, in Alberta. Uh, you know, that's usually a pretty strong league. Uh, so probably around that time I thought, you know, I had a decent chance. And then going to the Western League and having a, a really strong rookie season and, and getting drafted, uh, obviously that is, is the next step to making the NHL is getting drafted. So uh, once that happened, that's, uh, you know, when I thought this could uh, definitely happen. Do you look back and is it, were there coaches? Was it your own work ethic? It, it, was it a combination of those things that allowed you to keep on capitalizing upon just the, the talent that you were born with? Yeah, well, I think a lot of that is from my, my family. My dad played uh, professional for a little bit, mm -hmm. and he coached me all the way up until until Bantam. So uh, he was a big part of my, my life, and, and my brother as well. He was a hockey player, and uh, you know we pushed each other you know, down in the basement shooting pucks and, and playing street hockey. So uh, you know those two guys definitely helped me get to where I am. What's, in your opinion, the big difference, WHL, AHL, NHL? How do those three compare to them to each other? Uh, I think just, you know, you take the best players of each league and every time you move up, uh, those guys move on as well. So, uh, you know, it is, it's similar. And then each time you move up, it, it just gets a little harder. That You know, you get a little less time with the puck. Uh, you know, it's a little faster. Guys are a little stronger. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once you get to the NHL level, it's, it's the best of the best. Uh, you know, obviously tonight we had McKinnon, one of the best players in the league. So, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, each, each league, it's just a step up. When you made your debut back in October, it was against uh, Buffalo Squad, which obviously they have some big names on there. What was your immediate reaction? Because obviously you'd practiced with the guys and you'd been through this process and you'd gone up against NHL talent before, but it's different when you get out there in a real game. What was going through your head? Uh, 
not too much. Uh, you know, I didn't really think about who I was going against. I was just trying to focus on my own game and, you know, try to, t to play the best as I could. Uh, you know, I didn't play a ton that night, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun. My parents were there, and, uh, and it was awesome. That's cool. Um, in terms of playing in front of your family, um, is that kind of like just the icing on the cake in a situation like that? Yeah, definitely. They were uh, in town for the Barracuda home opener. They went home for like two or three days, and then I got called up, so they were able to fly right back. So it was a quick trip for them, but it was, <laughs> it was awesome for them to uh, to see me in my first NHL game. And now you've had the opportunity this year uh, to work with Joe Thornton, uh, Patrick Marlowe before he was traded. Um, you know, some big names in the NHL and the history of the NHL. Guys, here, you were born in 98. So these guys started their NHL career before you were born, which is hilarious. Uh, and I've talked to Mario Ferraro about this as well. Um, you know, what's it like being able to look at their skill set now up close? Uh, it's awesome. I think uh, you can learn a ton from you know the veterans on our team. Uh, you know, a couple, you know, probably first ballot Hall of Famers on our team with with Thornton and and potentially Marlowe as well. And then uh, you know, go down the list of you know all stars on our team, Couture and, and Burns and. Just the way they look at the game and how much uh, professionalism they have each and every day. Those guys are the hardest workers. Our best players are our hardest workers, and uh, you know that trickles down to uh, to young guys like myself that uh, that are trying to make it in the league. And you can look to those guys uh, of how they did it. Where do you see your game right now in terms of what you're focusing on in terms of improvement? Uh, I think it's just uh, you know being a little more detailed. Uh, you know things happen quick. Uh, you know being a little better positionally, defensively. Uh, you know holding on to pucks, uh, protecting pucks. It's a little more mm -hmm. uh, difficult at this level. You don't as have as much time. You can't just uh, you know use the skill game as you know you probably could have got away with in junior. So you have to you know find different ways to to protect the puck and create offense. Yeah, in terms of protecting the puck, that's something that a lot of the younger players have talked about. Um, and you know the. Ten years ago, it was just hit the weight room, hit the weight room, hit the weight room. But now the vogue in the NHL is not so much of the bigger bodies, but just the the very capable bodies. What's the solution now, as opposed to just getting bigger? Uh, well, I think lots of it. You can you can watch film. A lot of guys are watching film now, and you know you can see uh, the way certain guys defend, and you can you know. Uh, you know, put pucks in different areas to, to protect it and use your body. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to be the biggest guy uh, to, uh, to protect pucks. You can just uh, be smart with the puck and, uh, you know, you'll be quick and create your own, uh, you know, your own space out there. Do you have to think a little bit more ahead of time now when you are coming to the puck? Are you already thinking about what your next move is more quickly than you were at the AHL, for instance? Uh, maybe a little bit, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of that just comes naturally, and and most most of these guys, you know, they know what they're doing out there, and uh, you know, you'll critique a few things, you know, with film and and what the coaches tell you, but uh, you know, when it's happening that quick, uh, I think that just comes naturally. I have to imagine that the film resource, especially at the NHL level, is something that is is got to be exceptionally helpful because you know you were able to come up in an era where digital video was much more readily available than it was, you know. 10 to 15 years prior to, to when you were coming up, but even still at the NHL level, you've got all the angles, you've got all the film. How much has that helped you work on your game? Yeah, it's been huge. And, you know, this is probably my first year where we really were able to, you know, look at, you know, every shift that you have. Uh, you know, we don't really have that in junior, just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have, you know, power play and penalty kill, but not really individual. So uh, the individual film is, is a lot better at the NHL level. 
you know, after every game, you can, you know, grab an iPad and, you know, you can go through every shift. Uh, you can look at anything you want. So it's awesome to be able to go through a game uh, the next day and, you know, see what you did well or see what you need to improve on. Yeah, I mean, have you had that experience where you thought you played something right and you go back and you look at the film and you just shake your head and you're like, I can't believe I did that? Or on the flip side, has there been something where you watched it and you said, actually, I did do position myself well there. I did do the right thing where I didn't view it that way when it was happening in real time on the ice. Yeah, definitely. That that probably happens a ton for guys. Uh, you know, you only have one one view, and that's and that's your own. So uh, yeah. you know, if if a teammate tells you something and you know you might not agree with them at the time on the bench, uh, you know, you can go look at it. You know, in between periods, even and 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 critique yourself and and learn from it. And you've gotten obviously thrown into the mix of being on a team that's changed coaches and coaching staffs in the middle of the year. Um, obviously, these were guys that you knew before with the Barracuda. So I guess how is that? changed maybe your outlook like you got you know baptism by fire in your first year in the NHL by dealing with something that you know veteran players have dealt with time and time again throughout their careers yeah it's uh you know it was a first for me dealing with with the coaching change I was with the Sharks at the time when uh Pete uh, left the team so uh it was it was different but I think uh, having Reach and and Roy guys mm -hmm. that I already knew made made that transition a little easier for myself I didn't have to you know be re uh you know, I didn't have to meet a bunch of new guys, so yeah. uh, that probably made it a little easier. But yeah, it was uh, you know definitely a you know learning experience for myself. Yeah, Roy is uh, is a character into unto himself, and uh, I feel like he definitely had a a calming influence, knowing guys like yourself and a lot of the younger players who have been given this opportunity this year, especially with a lot of the injuries that's hit the team. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Roy's got a ton of experience. He's he's coached at the American level for for a long time. Uh, you know, he, he knows what he's doing and uh, he knows he knows the Sharks players really well. So that made it, uh, you know, easier for all these guys that, uh, you know, they had that guy on the, on the back end now working with the D that uh, they trust and that they know. But you're not wearing a bolo tie yet, I see. No, I don't think I'll be ever wearing a bolo tie. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I will let you go. But thank you very much. Congrats again on the goal tonight. And uh, love what you're doing out there on the ice and hoping to see more of it. All right. Thank you. Noah Gregor, everyone. Fun talking to him and fun watching him score his third goal. Obviously, it was in a losing effort, but again, you like to see that development. And you like to see those guys that are able to find the back of the net, and especially the fact that he's only 21 years old. I mean, what was I doing when I was 21? Put it that way. And a little trivia for you. You heard Noah Gregor allude to the fact that his dad was a former professional player. His dad, Colin, did play for Roy Sommer, that's right, assistant coach on the San Jose Sharks, former longtime Barracuda coach and Worcester Sharks coach. He coached him on the Richmond Renegades back in the 1993-94 season. So that's pretty cool. While I've still got you here today, I wanted to look a bit at upcoming Sharks free agency decisions. Some of them have already been made, and I just wanted to look at the unrestricted guys. Melker Carlson, that's a decision that needs to be made. Lukash Radil. Brendan Dillon's already been traded. He was a three-and-a-quarter million-dollar cap hit. Uh, Tim Heed, Dalton Prout, Redeem Shimek, he just signed that uh, four-year, nine-million-dollar deal. And here's an interesting one, Aaron Dell. Aaron Dell has likely played his way into some more money over the last couple of months, and he certainly looked more and more like a quality player. I, You know, we did not expect Dell to turn into this, and then suddenly – He's making these decisions relatively hard for the San Jose Sharks. And you know there's a lot of money tied up in Martin Jones and how the rest of the NHL is going to view Aaron Dell and how the Sharks are going to view him in terms of what they're trying to do with their franchise. 
it's it's going to be interesting. It, it really, really is. It's going to be interesting, and this is a situation in which we know the Sharks need to figure out how they're going to get better at forward, how they're going to be more balanced. We know they want to get younger. We know that they want to counterbalance those middle of their career players who are taking so much of that cap space. And listen, that's not I'm not pointing any fingers of blame at them. Those guys have earned that money, and they are some of the best players in the NHL. But at the same time, you need to figure out how you can get more depth around them, how you can get more quality youth around them, and how you can get yourself right back into the playoff race in the 2020-2021 season. Um, And a big part of that is going to be what the Sharks decide they're going to do with that goalie position because you can invest money in Aaron Dell and you can hold on to Martin Jones, obviously, because he's locked up with a contract. But, you know, for the last two years until the last recent memory, Martin Jones hasn't been the same guy. And Aaron Dell has never played this well before. And it's creating quite a difficult situation. Now, I'm sure the Sharks top brass, everyone has the ability to look at Aaron Dell and Martin Jones and say, is this the reality? Yes or no. Is this a fleeting part of their game? Yes or no. Has Martin Jones figured out what was wrong with his game? Has Aaron Dell, with this extra time on the ice, suddenly developed into a guy who can be this good from one game to the next? I mean, these are all very, very difficult questions that I hope the Sharks are able to answer because you could potentially be in a good situation if you do Hold on to Arendelle, who, like I said, has earned himself some more money by his performance as of late. But also, if Martin Jones flashes back to being the guy we thought he was all along. It's been an aberration in recent memory that he's been this good, but him being bad was the aberration for how good he was before that. And it's just trying to make sense of it. And right now, I'm not sure where making sense of it truly lies. I'm not sure... What's the reality? I'm not sure what's the trend, what the team is going to do going forward. But I guess ultimately it's a good problem to have, right? Like you you like the idea that you have two keepers that are fighting for this time on the ice and that they're playing really, really good hockey and that they're both improving their games. Martin Jones needed to improve his game. Aaron Dell needed to improve his game. That has occurred since the head coaching job was changed. I mean, credit to both these guys. They have upped their game. But which is the trend that's more likely to continue, and where are you going to invest that money? You know, like I said, Brandon Dillon has been traded. Redeem Shemek has been signed, locked up. Now things are starting to get very, very interesting for the Sharks. Doug Wilson, and I'm sure what's going to be a very entertaining free agent market once the year wraps up. All right, we are out of time. I want to give a big thanks to Noah Greger, for meeting with me after Sunday night's game against the Avalanche. Of course, all of you for listening as always, and the San Jose Sharks for making this show a reality. Until next time, for the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off.